Mad World was born from a, a personal lived experience um, that my partner and I had. Uh, very tragically, his daughter, um, who's also my goddaughter, uh, Caroline, um, uh, attempted to take her, her life um, with her then boyfriend, um, who was also called Mark. Um, and it was in a workplace environment and they sort of like announced it as a sort of pact that they were going to do um, and it was and it was missed and and so um, they managed to to go ahead um, with you know unquestioned and unfettered with this attempt um, this joint pact or an attempt on their lives this episode is very dear to my heart um, Simon is a really established entrepreneur who knows the event space inside out but was lost when confronted by a mental health emergency and instead of being in despair he decided to tackle the issue the best way he knows how and that's by bringing business leaders together under one roof to commit to a solution and in doing so he discovered that for people to function they need to feel safe to bring their whole self to work and at UN we believe business is about people and people are about more than their jobs which is why companies need to embrace the whole person Hello, that was the voice of Dick Van Mockman, founder of Unventures, and this is Unthinkable, the podcast from Unventures that shares stories of unorthodox thinking to give you a new perspective on work, life, and business. In this show, I, Neil Moore, talk to rule breakers, decision makers, and innovators about the unthinkable decisions they've made that change the fate of their careers, businesses, and maybe even your world. Today, I'm joined by Simon Berger, a serial entrepreneur who specializes in creating, building, and selling conferences and exhibitions, including eLearn Expo, the Internet Retailing Exhibition, Design Junction, and most recently, Future London, which you can attend in New York, Singapore, and soon Abu Dhabi as well. But there's one he won't let go, Mad World Summit. It stands for Make a Difference and aims to shift the conversation about mental health in the workplace from stigma to solutions by putting it on the C-suite agenda. Simon, thank you so much for joining. Good morning or good afternoon. Uh, lovely to be invited. Thanks, uh, Neil. So you were you built your career, uh, a long and storied career, on creating um, conferences and exhibitions. So that's your business. But this new one that you've made, I think, had a, a slightly different um, inception um, and a slightly different uh, objective when you made it. So it was basically to put mental health, which is quite a touchy subject you're British and we I'm British we don't talk about that a lot we don't really get into that with each other it's uh, you okay yeah I'm okay let's go for a beer kind of thing but you're deciding to make that front and center and a big issue and you think that that is also an issue that needs to be considered by work and leadership of workplaces that's a big and unthinkable decision what was the reason or the motivation for doing that um, okay, well, it wasn't my usual sort of like research into an idea um, and see if I thought that, you know, it had legs, uh, certainly. So, um, first of all, we are British, <clears throat> stiff up a lip, you know, pull your socks up and all that stuff. I'm sure you've heard many times before. Uh, and I think it's, we're probably in this sort of what I would call another um, pandemic um, around mental health uh, because of um, those sorts of uh, feelings and comments that we all had sort of like, um, you know, in our past. Um so let me tell you, Mad World was born um, really, Mad World, Mad is the, is the acronym for uh, Make a Difference, but Mad World was born from a, a personal lived experience um, that my partner and I had, um, actually at a, at a very 
ironically, at one of the most successful times of our career, we'd sold um, our business, uh, an internet retailing business, to Clarion. Uh, it was a pretty good exit for us, and we were on a high. Um, and Mark Pigou, who was my co-founder in MAD, uh, was also, uh, my. we were friends at school, he's been a partner of mine for, God, God knows, you know, something over now, 30 years now. Um, and... Um, as I say, we just sold this business and he had decided that he was going to um, uh, sort of opt out for a while. And he went to Exuma in the Bahamas. He found a piece of land on the beach, which he acquired. And he was going to build a sort of like a beach hut there. Um, and uh, very tragically, his daughter, um, who's also my goddaughter, uh, Caroline, um, uh, attempted to take her, her life um, with her then boyfriend, um, who was also called Mark. Um, and it was in a workplace environment and they sort of like announced it as a sort of pact that they were going to do. Um, and it was and it was missed. And, and so um, they managed to to go ahead um, with, you know, unquestioned and unfettered with this attempt, um, this joint pact or an attempt on their lives. Um, very, very sadly, uh, Mark, um, uh, Caroline's boyfriend, managed to succeed in taking his own life, which was horrific uh, for everyone involved, um, none more so potentially than Caroline uh, and her family. Um, and Caroline, uh, thankfully, um, did not manage to succeed. And, you know, six years later on now, she, uh, Caroline is doing is doing well and, uh, you know, and managing um, her... Um, her episodes, if you like, of mental ill health and mental illness. But obviously it was at that point when, you know, we felt so high that we had such a shock that we just suddenly thought to ourselves, you know, if we could have done anything to prevent that and utilising our somewhat, you know, some 30 years plus of, of, of business networks and contacts, if you like, um, across multiple industry sectors, across, you know, multiple parts of the world, we just decided that we try and and, and do that, you know. Um, and the original sort of acronym we came up for for Mad World, um, we wanted to call it Mad World because we wanted to poke the hornet's nest. That Mad has no reference whatsoever to anyone who suffers from mental illness or episodes of mental ill health. Um, but we wanted people to ask, you know, how can you get away with that? And really, the answer was because. You know, we do live in a mad world. It's a crazy world we live in, both politically, socially. Um, you know, there's turmoil everywhere. Um, and this exacerbates people's anxieties um, and stress levels um, and can bring on, um, you know, mental mental health. So it was going to be called Millennials Against Depression at that point. Um, but um, as time grew on and our ideas got flowing, we, we launched uh, Mad, uh, Mad World Summit in London five years ago. And um, it's t it stands for Make a Difference. We hope we've done that. It's an event that we are insanely passionate about. Um, we run the event in New York, uh, Singapore, London. Uh, we're just about to take it to Malaysia, actually. Um, well, that hasn't been announced, but we've had a, an inquiry from... Um, someone very high up in the, in the Malaysian government to bring um, Mad World to, 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 to that territory. And I suppose increasingly now, it's uh, we also have, by the way, we have a media arm now, which talks about the insights and trends and best practice and worst practice and lived experiences for everyone. Um, and I'm delighted to say that we have uh, just under 50,000 employers now who subscribe to... Um, 
our media site or attend our events, um, you know, to learn um, how to, to start, you know, to start a, um, and implement a, a strategy of mental uh, wellness and um, uh, in the workplace. Um, those that are involved or in the middle of it to, to help them um, do better uh, and implement further strategies for more sustainable systemic progress. Um, and as a direct result, really, of, of where we currently are now, one of the things I'm, I'm at, you know, if, if anything good came out of this pandemic, uh, Neil, the fact of the matter is, is that we are now, or this issue now, is at the very top table of every workplace. Um, and we need to ensure that we, we, we sort of like take that momentum um, and ensure that we, um, you know, that we, we deliver the messages that we, we want to fulfill across the globe. Yeah, I mean, um, it seems like the uh, the timing was um, was incredible because uh, the focus on that is very very important right now. But I want to go back to the beginning. I mean, that's an incredible and very personal sort of origin story for the event, and it's amazing that you you know amassed all that experience and and that whole network in the service of of trying to stop what happened to your god daughter happening to someone else. But even five years ago, that's not that long ago. But even five years ago, the attitudes to mental health weren't where they are now and where hopefully they're going to get to. So when you when you first approached your network, um, which is considerable and very senior, I mean, how did you how did you approach it with them? What were their first reactions? Were you worried at all about how they were going to react to an event like this? Is it something that they had considered or thought was not in their wheelhouse? Yeah, it's it's a, it's a great question, and it's and now if you look at it now, then it's slightly different. But as you quite rightly said back there, we were you know very much pioneering uh, in the sector. Um, so look, what we did um, very simply, we sent a personal note to every C-suite person we knew, just regardless of the industry. Um, just a little, I mean, a little bit about my background. I mean, I organise events across multiple different industries in different um, in the territories around the world. Um, you know, from Formula One to pharmaceuticals to e-learning to design or whatever it might be so we were we were blessed if you like to have a lot of different people in different industry sectors um and, and in direct answer to your question i invited them all to come to this event and i said nothing more i wanted them to be in the room uh, the ambition was to get a thousand c-suite people uh, into the room and for them to bring uh, their, at the time, that the only people that were dealing with it was either health and safety or HR. Mm. Um, it now changes, as you know, we have you know chief happiness officers and wellbeing officers and all sorts of other things, which is great. But at the time it was sitting with HR or HSE. And so we implored them to come at our bequest um, and you know to an event that you know they would learn. It was a bit of sort of cloak and dagger really. Um, it was in central London, so we made it very, very um, you know, easy, easy for them to come right in the city of London. It was only going to last for four hours, um, and we needed them to, to come and listen. And at the welcome address, both Mark and myself effectively implored them. Um, we told them the story. We used that story um, to to both you know get to their hearts as well as their heads. We had to back that up with the business case. Naturally, these are leaders, global you know commerce leaders, um, you know, with the business case around mental health and wellness in the workplace. You know, with absenteeism and presenteeism and talent retention, um, which is as you know, it's it, it's 
it's been proven and it is absolutely clear that you know your your human workforce you know being in, in perfect wellness um you know is 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 the only way to do um you know to to, to you know to to create purposeful profitable passionate business but that wasn't really what why we were doing it we were looking at the human factor but we backed that up with the evidence and lo and behold um i you know the last thing i said to them all as part of the welcoming address before inviting um, people, you know, some very senior people at their their peer group, at huge companies, to tell their lived experience, um, which is what we did in the first year. We just shared lived experience and and some horrific stats around um, suicide um, and serious mental illness as in the workplace. Um, and the last thing I said, I said, I need you to commit money over time. This is not a tick box, um, you know. I used the simile of a computer, um, a CRM system change or a computer change in an organisation. There's no point in the chief executive just agreeing to it. Every single person, every single department has to buy into it to, to change that corporate DNA and, and culture. Um, and the same thing with mental health. You know, and, and you know, we really implored them to commit money over time to deliver incremental, sustainable, but systemic change to eradicate the stigma of mental ill health in the workplace forever. I can tell you're passionate about this because I can hear you, you, you banging the table. <laughs> just, be, just be careful about banging the table. <laughs> I'm sorry. I thought, you're so right. I apologise. I am. Listen, Neil, one thing I will tell you is that, and I, uh, you know, so I won't bang the table anymore. <laughs> but, um, but, but one thing I can tell you is that in all of my businesses I've ever been involved in, if you, if you really don't feel it in your belly, um, let alone your head and your heart, then, well, let's put it another way. I'm not saying that won't work, but if you if you feel it there in your belly, then it will work because, you know, persistence beats resistance, um, you know, and I really feel that I have to have this passion and this subject, which is, will go with me to the day I die because I see firsthand on a daily basis people we're helping, millions of them out there, struggling to, to, to be able to put their hands up uh, and say they're having a bad mental health day for fear of reprimand or weakness or being judged or stigma. So, yeah, forgive me. <laughs> I won't bag the table anymore. No, no, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a lovely indication of, of how you feel yeah. about this matter. Right now, um, you know, businesses all over the world, they're dealing with... Um, digital transformation they're dealing with uh, pandemic transformation which is affecting businesses in all kinds of ways and causing them to pivot you know there's a lot on the agenda of business right now um, you've got it in your belly uh, that, that fire for this this particular issue how are you transferring that fire to their bellies because like you said if they don't feel it they're not going to act upon it and they're going to put out nice statements of, of intent but are we going to see real commitment how are you doing that is it is it in the in the way the event is formatted is it the follow-up is it explain a bit about that yeah it, it's a great question and like any any business you know any transformation any change any innovation um any disruption needs to um be evidence-backed. Um, I think, in, in, particularly in a business environment or a work environment, I should say, um, you have to be able to prove return on investment. Uh, and so there are lots of um, ways in, in which we're doing that. And I think also um, both talent, um, current employees or future employees, um, are also becoming more aware about it. You know, um, gone are the days where, you know, um, a young hotshot lawyer graduate will go into one of the magic circle events and 
you know, and be bought off with a, a six-figure salary, if you like, but doesn't have wellness at the heart of the job. You know, uh, lawyers, the legal profession is, is, is suffering and has suffered massively, like the construction industry particularly as well, and the financial services industry with mental, um, you know, mental health issues in the workplace. And that's because, they, you know, it's all about billable hours, trying to get to junior partners, the client's always right, whatever. I mean, all these sorts of things. But there has to be an element of, of, of looking after one's staff. And so leaders have to lead from the front. Um, and I think also that, you know, the, the people who are, t who are in those jobs now, particularly, you know, at the end of the day, I see COVID as a, as a catalyst for, for massive change. Um, and if we can use that momentum that's been, in, you know, created by this horrific global pandemic to sort of embed mental health and well-being as a, for me, it's a sustainable business priority. It's a business enabler, actually, um, you know, for the future. You know, if you look after your people with passion and purpose, then then it'll increase your your your, your profits. But I suppose what I like to you know, answer your, directly answer your question is you know it's focusing on fresh perspectives. I suppose um, you know around uh, workplace mental health and well-being initiatives, um, um, new ones, innovative ones, as well as those that you know have been well established, like you know councils and mental health first aiders. Um, but trying to find, um, you know, meeting the individual well-being needs of, of each of your employees. One thing is for sure that every single episode of mental ill health, every single person who has an episode is different. Um, the only commonality is that we are humans and therefore there are commonalities around that and, and which we can, we can learn from. But ensuring that, you know, inclusivity of mental health um, and well-being programs uh, the engagement of that through organizations and then looking at the skills revolution you know you, you talk about you know the link between people leader development and well-being uh, and how everyone can get involved and and of course everyone's talking now about the future of work you know you know what is your job and what it, was it good for you is it good for you what are the workplaces look like um, you know people Particularly, I think the, the the feedback I have, particularly male C-suite, are looking at the, their lives now in a different way um, and saying, "Look, this is, we missed out. They quite, you know, being with their family, um, not travelling as much or at all, um, has had a, probably a lasting impact. Uh, you know, lasting impact on, on a, a lot of people's lives. And I think, in terms, if you, if you drill down even further, which we try and do at our events and in our media, you know. We look at data-driven well-being, the why, the how, the what. Um, we look at, you know, each company or leader or manager taking potentially a segmented approach to well-being, um, supporting colleagues um, who've got long COVID, for example. That's going to be a, a horrific, mm. um, you know, thing in the future. And then, of course, I suppose the link between uh, what I call toxic management, but probably the better word is conflict management and well-being. Um, you know, I, I give examples of that when I do, you know, when we have our panels. It's like, you know, your best salesman in the world, right, he's just cracked a deal, he's signed a, man, a fantastic deal. Um, and the first thing you want him to do is, is to, you know, go out and get another one. Well, whereas potentially what you, what you should be doing <laughs> is saying, look, <laughs> exactly, you know, take the weekend off, I mean, and, and recuperate. That, that must have taken it out of you. Look after that guy. He, he's the back, or that girl, he's, she or he is the backbone of that of that revenue generation and therefore look after them don't flog the dead you know 
it takes, you know, resilience, you know, all these things that we talk about resilience, we talk about stress, we talk about, you know, stress is not a bad thing. We always, we all get stressed. It's a good thing to be stressed, but then you have to manage that. You have to recuperate, recharge. You don't become a, you know, a, a Hussein Bolt overnight. You build up, you build your body up, as you would in a physical capacity to take the stress. Then you should basically, we should be doing that, um, you know, for, for your for your mental health. I mean, don't get me started about this, you know, mental and physical, because the, I mean, the whole thing should have parity of esteem. You know, it's a ridiculous thing that we sever the head and call it mental. And when, you know, all mental health is manifested from a, a physical condition and vice versa. So it's, um, yeah, I'm no doctor. I have to predicate everything I say on this on this call, by no, the way. You, you sound yeah. like you've really, you, you've schooled yourself in this stuff. I mean, some of the language. I love that phrase you used about mental health first aiders. I've never heard that before. Do, have you been on a sort of personal journey to understand all this? Well, well I mean, let, let me tell you about mental health first aiders because it is something that is going around the globe. It was founded in Australia. Uh, in terms of mental health first aid programs, it was started in Australia, fantastically. Uh, they were the pioneers. It is now speeding around the world at pace. There is an MHFA, a Mental Health First Aid Association, uh, and um, ambassadors in every country. Well, not every country, but in a lot of countries around the world. Um, and then you do a course um, and you become a mental health first aid as you would have done with physical health. Um, and, you know, that you appoint a, a number of champions or ambassadors or, or mental health first aiders within an organisation. And it's great. Listen, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to knock it. But it is part of a, I have to be careful what I say here, which is not normally like me, um, <laughs> because I want to make the ripple, you know, uh, you know, but it is part of a tick box approach. It's a bit like putting, not a bit like, but, you know, it's, if someone says put a you know, load of fruit on a table or, um, you know, put some. Put some sandwiches um, in the conference room. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, this is not what it's all, or do a yoga session every week, or let's celebrate Mental Health Awareness Week or International Mental Health Day. You know, this for us to make significant systemic change, you really need to, to you know, this is has to be, you know, year-round, and it has to be, as I said at the beginning, culture, full culture DNA change. So having mental health first aid is, is wonderful. There's a lot of pressure on those mental health first aiders, however. You know, if someone does have a, is suffering from mental um, ill health in the office, and they are, are they're sort of signposted, if you like, to uh, the mental health first aider, that's a lot of pressure on that mental health first aider, who is not there to, to diagnose. He's there to spot the signs of his or her own mental fitness or health, and those of others around them, and to and to to support uh, and to signpost where they should go, um, it, whether it's in an organisation or not, which could which should frankly always be to your GP or to your corporate counsel or to the um, you know the EAP, the Employment Assistance Programme, or whatever different companies change. But that's the point of a mental health first aider. However, one of the things I am in incredibly passionate around and I had to stop myself from banging the table there <laughs> is that I really feel Neil that it's not just about choosing a few champions if we're going to do the change that I want to see and I'll come back to my four final things that what we plan for as a company um, which are pretty big challenges but we're, we're, we're you know we're in the foothills at the moment but we're, we're moving you know slowly to the bottom of the mountain I hope to reach the peak as soon as I possibly can but the single biggest thing for me is that if every employee on the planet 
had as an induction, no matter where they work, in an office, on a building site, on a sports field, on a stage, and everything in between, regardless of um, you know, uh, colour, age, gender, creed, culture. If we could give them the uh, a mental health um, awareness training course, it could be very simple, could be like, last us 15 minutes, um, and we could, I call it empathy training, okay? But if everyone had that, then stigma of mental health in the workplace would dissipate entirely and forever. Um, and, you know, and, it, and it's as simple as this, three things. Learn about the attention to prevention of your own mental health. Look at yourself. How can you help others if you don't know yourself? So check your own mental health. You know, check your sleep, your nutrition, your exercise, your mindfulness. Those are the four pillars of good mental fitness, mental health. If you're feeling bad, anxious, stressed, if someone may have horrifically may have passed and you're feeling grief, which is also... Um, you know, uh, on the mental health spectrum, you know, check yourself um, and, and how you're feeling. And, uh, and so that's the first one. Secondly, then check those around you. So look after your own mental health and fitness. The same with others. Spot the signs. If someone keeps coming in on a Monday morning late and late, you know, you know every single Monday, there's probably some form of addiction there. You know, I don't know what that might be, but spot those signs. Ask people, don't just say, hi, how are you? Listen to how they respond. Watch people's actions and look after your mental health, those that are around you. And finally, be able to signpost yourself and those around you to, um, to, help, to get help in your organisation. Those three things, everyone on the planet, and let me, here's, here's the, the real piece de resistance for me, is that because of COVID, everyone, that people used to say one in four, one in five will have an episode of mental ill health in their lifetime in the workplace. It's categorically one in one now. There is not a single human being, in my belief, that hasn't experienced some form of mental ill health during this pandemic. And therefore, let's use that momentum to go back and be aware of ourselves and others. You know, you clearly have the passion for this thing, but then you made it a reality. You, you you did things, granted within the realm that you know, which is kind of the event space, but you took it forward. So I just want to know for you, what are the risks, what were the risks for you doing this? Was it, and I mean, I mean financially, reputationally, um, opportunity risk, time risk, what were the risks of doing this project? And what do you think the rewards are going to be? Although they seem fairly evident to me now, but let's just recap what those are. Yeah, I mean... I mean, I'm in a very fortunate position. You know, I'm 30 years in. I'm 55 years old. I'm sort—I suppose—I'm at the twilight of my business career, and I've had a moderate, you know, you know, modicum of success in it. Um, but you know, it just comes down to, to you know what's important at the end of the day. And after that sort of lived experience that we had, it was it was more important to me than um, than anything else. This is a commercial project, by the way. Let me be very clear about it. And the reason it's a commercial project is actually not because it, I wanted to make money out of it, but because if you don't treat it as a commercial product project in a commercial or business or workplace environment, you wouldn't get listened to. Look, I mean, in, in terms of the risks, obviously, we, we decided that this was something that we would never sell and I will never sell it. Um, I, you know, the more stones I drop in the pond, the more ripples I get, um, the bigger the community. We work with um, innovators, we work with mental health researchers and a charity on the planet we don't work with. We help um, different programs out each year. 
Um, you know, we haven't even gone down this sort of like social enterprise because that's entirely up to Mark and I, myself what we do, um, you know, with the, the profits that come out of this. But believe me, we, we spend them in, uh, very wisely and, and cleverly, we think, um, to enable our KPIs. Um, we work with every media company on the planet, every business media, I should say. So the FT sponsor us. Um, Thomson Reuters, The Economist, The Wall Street Journal, Forbes has been was our founding um, partner. Um, in London, The Evening Standard, which is, goes to 20 million Londoners every day. Um, Clear Channel, out, digital out of home, um, you know, and so on and so on. Every, CNBC, uh, all of these companies support uh, Mad World uh, Summit wherever we do them. And because, why? Because, you know, they, they, they want to extend our reach, our frequency. It's important. I mean, all the reporters in the world. I mean, we work with a, a Thomson Reuters um, reporter um, who was, uh, suffers from PTSD uh, from being from reporting in a war zone. Um, and, you know, TR has, Thomson Reuters have, you know, just... We've worked collaboratively to get those messages out. So what were the risks? Um, I don't really think there was too much risk other than potentially to our reputation. Why are you doing this? But at the end of the day, that was purely, that was the stigma we were trying to fight. Um, and, um, you know, so you've got to step up and, um, and, and, and share your lived experiences. One of the, the stories I heard, the very first event I went to um, when we thought about doing this, I thought I'd do some as we always do, some, some, some research and put some focus groups together. And I went to a couple of events um, that were in the construction industry. Um, and two things came out. Um, someone from the construction industry came up and said, and bear in mind this was six years ago, okay, and said that, you know, if we look at health and safety across workplace, um, safety have done a pretty good job. Um, anyone who dies in the UK on a building site Anyone, for whatever reason, has to be reported into uh, an ombudsman, if you like, which is recorded. So people can learn. So, for example, if someone sadly got reversed over by a truck, you know, that has to be put down. That's why now on all construction sites, now they have noises and cameras on the back of trucks. So we can learn and not repeat these things. So one of the facts that came up in that conference was that in that year, which was six years ago, that um, there had been, very sadly, but there had been three deaths on all construction sites in the UK due to um, safety mishaps, which is still very sad, but co compared to what it was 10 years previous, it was yeah. amazing. Yeah. But conversely, in that same year and in throughout the UK web, uh, um, construction sites, there had been 330 suicides. No. And that's a fact. And that's a fact that blew, it literally knocked me off my chair. So it's like, wow, as you say. So in health and safety, safety has done a good job. Let's now concentrate on health. And there's lots of reasons why construction workers, um, that, 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 you know, we went focused into that and why. And people were away from you know, their families, um, maybe even worse, you know, from, you know, uh, immigration workers um, and things like that, um, loneliness and anxiety and stress and, and alcohol and addiction and things like that. But I, I won't go into too much detail, but that was one of the things. And the other thing that struck me, and I really want to share this with you because it's never left me and never will, is that there's a guy called Jeff McDonald who was the HR director at Unilever, one of the biggest companies in the world. And him and uh, Paul Pullman, uh, the CEO, changed um, the, 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 you know, their human workforce, frankly, over a few years 
for the better by being more inclusive um, about mental health and well-being um, throughout um, the, you know, their entire global operations. But one of the things he said to me, he said, he was on stage and Jeff said, not to me, he said to everyone, he said, every single time someone tells, you know, tells their story, tell, shares their lived experience about their mental health episode or me mental health illness or, or episodes, he said, it's like sending out a lifeboat into an ocean which has millions of people drowning. And each of those stories is a lifeboat that goes out into the ocean and people can hold on to that lifeboat for in hope that one day they can have the, 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 the ability to put their hand up and say, I'm having a bad mental health day in their workplace without fear of stigma, reprimand, weakness, or even worse, being fired. And I, that, that, that image to me is so amazingly prevalent. Uh, and um, so I share it with as many people as I can to encourage them you know, speak out. It's it's really important. And, and every time you do, you're doing a good job. It's a fantastic sentiment and beautifully expressed as well. And uh, I'm looking forward to coming to the event here and to hearing some of those stories, because like you said, not not a single one of us really has gone untouched. Um, and, and if you had made it so far without being touched by some sort of mental health issue, the pandemic probably saw an end to that run. Um, the last question that I have for you is the question I have for everyone, which is, um, you know, the listeners of this podcast are people who have ideas, who want to make change, um, either independently or within their organizations or in their lives. Um, you made a big, bold decision here. You, you went after it with all your heart. You've made it a huge success. What is your advice to other people who are considering making big unthinkable decisions or uh, or setting big unthinkable goals like putting mental health on the c-suite agenda what's your advice to them as to how to go after those if you burn yourself out too quick then you've got nothing left in the tank um and, and i think you know i suppose look find something that i've always maintained this you find something that you really really enjoy all right find you know you find the people that you really enjoy doing it with and ultimately, if you do those two things, you will reach your goals, whether that be, you know, to make an impact, to make a disruption, to make a change, make some money, you know, enjoy what you're doing, enjoy it with the people. And, and frankly, you'll never work again. Um, that's my belief. You know, if you're doing something you enjoy and you're passionate about, then it's not really work. Um, I think too many people are obsessed with finding an opportunity, a gap. But, you know, if, you, if that's not a gap you enjoy filling, if that's not an opportunity that's going to, you know, send you to bed at night with a feeling of, of real satisfaction, then it may not be the opportunity for you. But that's, that's what I hear a lot is people were looking for gaps and opportunities and sure things um, and not really caring whether or not it's something they'd be good at and are passionate about. So I think that's quite important. Yeah, I think, Neil, I think you've hit it there on the head. Are there, how many gaps are there? Really, not many. So do something better more interesting, more useful. I've got one, one final thing I'd like to say, which I have lived, lived my life uh, by, uh, Neil, and it's a term my father taught me, which is, and I love it, and I think any entrepreneur on the planet should use it, particularly now the next-gen entrepreneurs who talk about hitting revenue numbers as if they were, you know, as if it was easy. So here it is. It's re revenue is vanity, and profit is sanity. And I, I've lived my life to that thing. So you could make 10 million pounds revenue a year and end up with, you know, 100,000 profit. Or you could do 200,000 pounds 
uh, in revenue and make a hundred thousand profit. I prefer to have the latter. Well, and it will probably help your mental health out a lot. Because, <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. Those mega revenue numbers and not making any money is uh, yeah. probably quite damaging. Yeah. Simon, um, this has been uh, f- fantastic. Uh, the, the passion is is incredible to hear. I've, I've sort yeah. of known you always as a businessman and a passionate businessman, but this is a whole a whole new side. So thank you for sharing. Where can um, listeners of this podcast go listen to stories and find out more um, from your media media arm? Yeah, please. Look, I mean, we have two websites. Very simple. They're called makeadifference.events or makeadifference.media. Um, and, you know, sign up to the media. We share insights, trends, best practice. If you're an, if you're an employer and you want to start your program, what's the first 100 days look like? How do you do an assessment? You know, what's the toolkit? We will help you at no charge. We want you to start. Those that are already doing it, have been, you know, we'll help you implement, you know, additional um, strategies or assist with engagement and all that sort of stuff. Um, and for the big companies who we work with, um, you know, who are leading the charge now, I'm delighted to say, um, you know, we're, we, we've got some fantastic plans. I, 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 talk, I can't really talk about the company, but we have a plan right now to work with a, a huge, huge global consultancy um, to deliver um, a peppercorn, um, if not free, um, resource to every employer on the world to, to insist that their employees take around mental health awareness, um, which we propose to launch. So maybe next time we talk, Neil, I can tell you more about it. I hope we will have launched it by then. Um, but that, you know, big steps are being moved. But it's not, it's not just big steps that are needed. You know, even if you're a sole proprietor, do owe yourself the favour look after your own health and those around you even if they're not if you've got no one else working for you look after those spot the people in your community or in your family um you know look after your health it is all that is your all you have um really it is in terms of you know if success is looking after your health until you die then the longer you live the more success you've had so great way to look at it simon thank you so much thank you Unthinkable is a Moore's Law Media production for Unventures, an unorthodox growth partner that helps people and businesses be value over form-led to thrive in today's adaptive economy. It was hosted and produced by Neil Moore, executive produced by Dick Van Motman, and the production assistant was Nafilza Rahidi. Subscribe via iTunes, Spotify, and all the usual places, and head to un-ventures.com for even more insights on how you can become more un. Unthinkable.